It is a great day to be alive. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our wonderful episode where me and Luke talk to each other. Gomer. Oh, Gomer. I said I called myself Gomer. I meant to say Luke. I've been drinking and watching G.I. <laughs> Joe, Luke. Rise of Cobra. I, G.I. Why are you watching G.I. Joe? Because we had mentioned it on one of our episodes when we were talking about Aquaman. And I said Aquaman reminded me of G.I. Joe. So on Wednesday, when me and you were recording, I was looking up which episode did we say our New Year's themes. Remember that part in this episode? Mm-hmm. And so I found mm-hmm. it, but it was right after I looked at the synopsis of Aquaman as a new G.I. Joe. Because it feels the same. Over-the-top CGI, all this stuff. Yeah. And so I was like, hmm. Shannon goes, G.I. Joe, how funny. I've never seen that. And I was like, Whip, we're watching it. <laughs> That's a sign from God. <laughs> Plans made. Plans yep. made. Hey, so you want to tell the kids like what this episode's about? Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what it's about. It's about uh, fear and loathing in ministry. That's what it's about. And there's a whole part of the conversation that you guys won't get to hear because it's too private on my end. Yeah. Oh, Luke. And it was meant as a person. And I, he literally said, can I just tell you what's going on? I'm, this can't go on the podcast. Yes. And then you just went. No, 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 no. And whoa, whoa, whoa. I, oh, yeah. No, you're right. I did. I just went. Because <laughs> what I was feeling was piggybacking right off of that. And then you whispered, I hit record a little bit ago. <laughs> Let's not forget that. So there's some context. So it's basically like we were just talking about some of the, as we do, uh, trials and tribulation of being professional church church workers. And then Gomer starts to share what's on his heart about that. And here we go. Away we go. We'd like to thank our three sponsors. Amazing Parish. Amazing people. Thank you so much. Uh, Also coming back, Catholic Match. CatholicMatch.com. Catching Foxes made me do it. Put that in your profile and smoke it. And then third, we have a friend that we are plugging. Uh, We have Adore Ministries. And we're going to talk a little bit about that later. Enjoy the show, you heathens. Well, let me ask you this. What if you were to get a regular job that you love? Would you, and answer this honestly, would you still pursue ministry even if you had nothing to do with the Catholic Church? You're just a project manager at a software company. It had nothing to do with Jesus. Would you still be doing ministry like the way you described it? Yeah, I think I would. I think I would because this is the first time I've ever had that like realization of like, oh, I need to be doing this. Okay. Like I need, I need to be doing this. Like, and, um, uh, yeah. So how would it look like if you had a jobby job that had no connection with ministry, what would you do to do ministry? Quote unquote. Um, I think part of it would be like, just like being able to do this podcast is one part of it. So continuing to be able to do like live shows, like I love like going to be able to meet with people, being able to talk to people, being a prayer with people. Um, and then probably, uh, being a part of something at the parish, whether it be a core team or, um, doing, or just like I'm running a small group out of my house or something like that. What do you think? Uh, um, 
I, I'm going to say that I don't know what I think because I'm reading a book right now that's challenging every single thing that I believe. <laughs> I'm not kidding. How so? I'm not kidding at all. Um, okay. Basically, I listened to this talk from one of my favorite evangelical preachers, Francis Chan. And I decided, you know, I've been wanting to get his book called Letters to the Church. So I'm just going to get it now. Uh, I've kind of rekindled my relationship with Francis Chan, especially since I watched a YouTube video of this very angry Michael Voris, but on the Protestant side, uh, heresy hunter extraordinaire, said Francis Chan is finally, we can declare he's an apostate. Francis Chan is a big bag of leaven. He has become the false teacher he used to warn of. Francis Chan is a certified apostate. Be warned of the leaven of Francis Chan. Separate from him. Have nothing to do with him. The man not only embraces falsehood, but has become that very same falsehood. Until next time, God bless and Godspeed. And it's because he prayed with charismatics who are a little weirdo, but still prayed with charismatics. He prayed with Catholics and he told Matt Maher and Audrey Assad that he views them as Christians. And so this guy's like, obviously he's an apostate. He is not Christian anymore. You should not listen or follow him. So I go and I was like, well, if this guy thinks that he must be amazing. So, and I've listened to a ton of Francis Chan's podcasts of his sermons back when he was at Cornerstone and Simi Valley and all this other stuff, but I've seen his YouTube videos and all this stuff. So I watched this one YouTube video. Uh, I listened to it. I listened to it eight times in a row. Not in a row, but eight times in the past 48 hours. And it's an hour-long talk. And um, he has made me fall in love with the Eucharist more as an evangelical Protestant. Um, it is it is, it is is earth-shaking in a lot of ways. And Wait, the heretical guy? The guy who's like, he's an apostate? Yeah, the guy who he's saying, so the, the I, I don't know what the idiot dude is calling him an apostate, but Francis Chan is who was called an apostate. So the Francis Chan book is, I'm making you fall in love with the Eucharist more. The Eucharist and ministry and really giving me a distaste for ministry as it is. The professionalism of Christian ministry. Mm-hmm. And, um, so it's really funny. So when you listen to him talk like, okay, so he, he was at this mega church and they did amazing things. Like they would give tons of money to the poor and they would support orphanages and church plants, all the things that evangelical churches do well, he did the best. And he would talk about how he dreamed of having a church without walls. And it's not about the building. Everyone makes it about the building and everyone makes it about the pastor and you're glorifying the pastor. Don't glorify me. You know, I'm just a sinner like you. So then he left Simi Valley Church. He said, this is not what church is supposed to be. So he leaves it. He goes to conferences. He goes to China and Singapore and Thailand and preaches the gospel with his six kids or whatever. And they just travel and beg and live this like crazy lifestyle. And then he said, the Lord called me back. And then he moves to San Francisco and starts basically a house church movement called We Are Church or We Are the Church. And now that's what he does. So he pastors all of these churches that meet in homes that have other pastors. So he's like, no screens, no buildings, none of this. This is what the Lord is calling me. This is a truly biblical vision. But there was this time in the middle about six years ago when I see him giving a talk or four years ago, I see him giving this talk 
at another church. And he's like, people keep asking me, why do I have this table, this altar here with this bread on it? And people keep asking me angrily, like, why are we having communion every Sunday now? This doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, whoa, he's an evangelical having communion every Sunday. This is interesting. And then he says, I read in the Bible. Now, you know I'm all about missions and proclamation and evangelization. He said, I read in the Bible where St. Paul says that when we break this bread, this bread, we proclaim the death of the Lord Jesus until he comes again. He said, I don't know how and I don't know why, but when we share in communion, it proclaims Jesus's death and resurrection. And I'm like, oh, oh, right, right. So then he goes on and he says, so every single Sunday, we are going to put this table and this bread in the center of our worship. And it is not going to be about how fantastic a speaker I am. And it's not going to be how amazing our band is. It is going to be about communion together. And I was like, holy shit, holy shit. That is incredible. I love this. So that was four years ago. Fast forward to last week, I subscribed to his podcast called Crazy Love. It's not really a podcast. This is like Francis Chan, This right? is Francis Chan, straight up. Okay. And so I'm listening okay. to these podcast things, and they're weird, and it's fine. It's like him explaining Genesis or something. I can't remember. And uh, I forgot that I had subscribed to it, and then a new episode would come, and they're like 15 minutes long or whatever. And I listened to it, and I'm like, okay, that's interesting. Whatever. But then the last two are, one of them is his gathering in, on January 3rd or 4th of the We Are Church home churches they gather like quarterly or monthly or something and then he does a preaching session where he just kind of rekindles the fame flame of the mission and in it he says this now check this out luke he says now i want you all to go get the app that we have for our church so that we can read scripture together and he said now it's not just us and we are church but also reality church he names off all these like hilarious one word evangelical church names you know like like reality and epic and you know he names them all off and then and and second baptist of san francisco or first baptist whatever it is and then he says we're all reading scripture together and he said how cool is it to think that you and other believers around the city are reading and praying through and worshiping with the same scripture verses and that you can actually have fellowship with each other over these readings. And I'm like, holy crap, I love the liturgy of the word so much more now. <laughs> right? Like, like this guy is <laughs> killing me. This guy is killing me. And, uh, you know, but, but for the church to set the pace here and say, man, we're going to study the word of God together. So if you run into someone from reality or someone from Epic or someone from First Baptist, they're reading the same passage as you. And then the, the Christians in, in San Francisco can actually fellowship together having read the same passages on the same. Isn't that cool? And, and so... Uh, so for some of you who haven't started yet, you'll have to do three days worth today, okay? So that was the second to last talk. Then the last talk was called Rethinking Church or whatever, Rethinking Missions. And he talks about, I've known churches that are amazing in teaching, churches that are amazing in charity, churches that are amazing in service and whatever. He said, I've never met a church that's amazing in love. And he says, when I talk with churches around the world and they ask me to like come and talk to their staffs, I say, write down all the things that the people that you're known for being really good at and that your congregation values, our children's program, our youth ministry, our middle school ministry, our mom's day out program, our men's ministry, blah, blah, blah. So he's saying all this stuff. And, you know, we're really welcoming and blah, blah, blah. And he says, now write down all the commands that Jesus gives the church and St. Paul gives the church in the Bible. You know, people write down like, love one another, blah, blah, blah. And he writes them all down. 
And he says, now tell me, why are those two columns completely separate? Why are they talking about two different things? Why is it over here it's talking about, like, uh, your nursery is convenient, you have great parking and wonderful music, and over here it's talking about uh, loving Christ in the midst of suffering, loving one another as Christ loved us, bearing one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, right? So he lists out all these commands. He says, these are commanded, and yet we desire these other things. And so he started saying this stuff, and it really started ripping into me. And he says, more than anything else, the church needs to be known for its love for each other. And he pointed at a guy, and he's like, what's your name in the front row? He says, Matt. And he goes, Matt, I'm supposed to love you the way Christ loves me. And he goes, and I don't. And in my flesh, I don't want to because I don't know you. I got my family. I got my kids. I'm busy. He says, but Christ says Christians are supposed to be known for their love for one another the way he loved us by dying for us. And then he goes, and you know the most important way we show that to one another? It's in communion. This bread is my body, which will be given up for you. Have you ever given yourself to someone sitting next to you in the pew? And this blood, which is the blood of the new covenant, which will be poured out for you. Have you ever poured yourself out? Every time you receive communion, you are saying, I am going to do this for you. Look at what Jesus did. Communion is what Jesus did for you on the cross. And I'm like, holy moly, this is awesome. (laughs) And it is so convicting. So then I go out and I buy, I buy the book, Letters of the Church. And I'm telling you, 15 times more intense is this book than those those sermons. This speaking right before his death, he goes, I want you to love one another just as I've loved you. And this is when he, he, he institutes communion. And he goes, look, and I want you to take this piece of bread. I want you to break it. I want you to take it, this cup. I want you to drink it. This is my body broken for you. This is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood shed for you. And so I want you to, to commune your Francis, you and Matt and whoever else, you're going to break this bread and you're going to look at Matt and you're going to look at that bread of my body broken. And you're going, oh man, that's the love you want me to have for Matt to where I would sacrifice and break my body and shed my blood like that level of love. The Holy Spirit was a gift to me to pour out to you. That's what if we were concerned about pleasing him. I know that's not what I, I, I'm just being honest. In the flesh, I don't really want to do that with you, Matt. I don't. And I'm sitting here and he's talking about like, like the church in China. And he said, you know, there's a time when the Church of China could come up out of from underground. They did. They did services just like they do in America. 2,000 people would come on a weekend, and no one did anything. And he said, we realized that the greatest thing that ever happened to us was persecution. because Not because, like, oh, only the real Christians are going to come here. He said, what happened was when we came out of ground, that gave people permission to be spectators and not followers of Jesus. Mm, yeah. Yeah, And I'm like looking at my church and I'm seeing all the Bible studies and I'm seeing the programs that I lead. I'm not just criticizing other people, the things that I do and I'm looking for the positive fruits in their life. Are you going to your neighbor? And with every knee shall bow and conversations with you about how you go out to all these young adults and you just drive, you're in your car. Every time I call you during the day, you're in your car going to see someone else. And I just think like, I just expect people to come to me. I expect them to come to me and I call that ministry and evangelization and mission. And I have neighbors that I have never spoken to about Jesus Christ. 
I've never welcomed them into my home. I've never even tried to because maybe the first time I met them, you know, one couple over there who looks, they, they look like the most amazing family, but they have such a heavy Spanish accent. I can't understand every, like, I don't even know the wife's name, even though I, she said it at her like five times. I couldn't even pronounce it. And I felt intimidated, so I never, we just waved to each other. And the other family, they're annoying as shit, but I've never gone over there after I first said hello. And I, I don't know how I can be so comfortable doing this. That's why I said to you, what would you really be doing ministry if you didn't have your job? Like, is that wired into your gut? Because it's so easy for me as a professional church person to be like, you people need to go out and evangelize. I'm like, what, what does that even mean? Mm-hmm. How am I going out and evangelizing? So I was having a chitty chat with some people a few weeks ago, and we were uh, reading this thing that Ratzinger talked about, and he's and he's going off about how we like to, you know, um, and I apologize to like Father John Nepple. I meant to I meant to email you this passage, and I never did because I'm a lazy piece of shit and a terrible friend. Um, so basically. Ratzinger is talking about how we like to make the church in like our image and uh, as opposed to like God moving first and then as a response to him. And he actually like kind of compares it to the difference between creating or the or sorry, like maker and um, wonder someone who dives into the overall uh, mystery of who of who God is. And we started to talk about how it's so easy to pay attention to the scaff to not to the painting to God, but to the structure that allows us to see God, to the, the scaffolding or what we're standing on and how that just consumes you. And we, it's, and like when we do ministry, it's not a response to God. It's, we just do it because we think we should, because we know that God's there. So let's just build the scaffolding. And, you know, so it's like, here's this program that I'm doing. Here's this thing that I'm setting up, come and be a part of this thing as opposed to like real wonder and like real, um, and like real mystery. And um, because the problem is we've all just made a career out of this, you know, and so it's almost like we have to. And I, um, I don't know, I I, I am at a point in my life where I have to do this. I have to. The best day of my life was two weeks ago. Sorry, that's not true. But like, like one of the best days I've had over over the past like two weeks was one was my birthday party. It was awesome. Thank you, everyone who came. And two was when I went and gave a talk at um, this one like uh, pre cana thing, and then I was able to pray with a guy afterwards who had a who had a speech impediment who was on his second marriage because his um, his first wife died, and this is all for people who are on marriage um, number two because they've had a spouse die or they've had an annulment, and he was telling me how hard it was for his daughter. I shared a little bit of like my own story of having to see my mom date and like Aaron having experience with like her, you know, like having her mom die and having her dad date and get married and just on what that's like. And, and then hearing this guy's um, life and then I just prayed with him and I was just like, this is all that I want to do. I love this. Now there's other stuff that I like. I enjoy strategy. Like I had a great time uh, with a bunch of people that I work with and, uh, and a big supporter of the podcast, Emily Conklin. Hi, Emily. Uh, she's, she's a new like patron who, um, just came and like, she unvolunteered her whole day, just like help us out. And like, it was awesome. It was like so much fun. And, um, there's an element where I do enjoy that whole, like, cause you have to pay attention to the, to the, to the scaffolding at some point in time. Yeah. It just doesn't exist on its own. Um, 
but when your ministry or when your when your structures are created in a way and this is one of the thing the like the, like Ratzinger is getting at it so we have to renew these we have to renew these structures because if we don't they just turn in and of, turn in and of themselves and then the like then these then the scaffolding exists just to exist as opposed to help us like see the greater picture there are a lot of analogies there too many some might say hey gomer hey what you know what sucks the state of american parishes <laughs> they sure do they sure do why do you, and uh since we like to name names here why do you think that they suck <laughs> because of bob saget no i don't, I don't. what name <laughs> should i saget. name him <laughs> oh, i don't know I'm just kidding hey luke hey luke hmm. you know what we should do we should invite hmm. our friends to your uh your old neck of the woods you should everyone so in may our good friends the amazing parish you, you heard us oh last week talking to pat lynn joni was amazing that was good. such a good dude such a good dude i i quietly hope that he starts to subscribe to, to the podcast so pat if you do blink twice um <laughs> uh so there and as you know uh on their site amazingparish.org they have tons uh they have tons of resources to help your parish be awesome to help to really help it uh help it run well and what i love the best about it uh, besides the fact that it's so steeped in prayer is that they really do try to bring about healthy positive i don't know if i'm positive is the right word but like the conversations that we need to be having at our parishes so if you're if you are a we have a lot of priests who listen we have a lot of people who uh, who work at parishes who listen i really encourage you guys to attend the amazing parish here in the beautiful city of cincinnati, cincinnati. from may 13th through through the 15th they have tons of they have tons of resources online that are that are that are completely free but there's nothing quite like taking the time to be with some people in your parish that you that you trust who could be possibly a part of your of your like leadership team yeah. to come just come down here and go through the whole the uh whole process i've been i've been through it about one and a half times it's incredible yeah just think about it you get to be with a whole bunch of other people complaining about how the church is on fire but actually figuring out ways to put it out so that's the fine folks at the amazing parish conference um, which is going to be held this may in cincinnati check it out at amazingparish.com Thank you to The Amazing Parish for sponsoring this episode of Catching Foxes. So, like, do you think, are you, so, like, what are you saying about this? Is, is it challenging? Like, like, how does it challenge you to your core? It challenges me to my core because I look at all the programs, events, people that I bring in, and I'm getting really sick and tired of celebrity culture. So I was talking with this one woman who wants to hire me to do a, a, a talk for her church, and, um, she said, you know, we'll fly you out in the afternoon. You'll give your talk in the evening, and then you fly out the next morning. Um, you know, we're not around a big airport that you can leave that night, so, you know, whatever. And she said, how much do you charge? And I told her how much I charge, and I always feel guilty because I think I charge too much. And she said, okay, that's fine. You know, we have, we have the money for this. And I said, okay. And then I just said to her, listen, I do not charge you for the gospel. I don't charge you per talk. It's not my gospel. I don't own it. It's been given to me. What you are buying is my time away from my wife and kids, right? So if I fly out there to you, 
I want you to give me more talks to do if it makes sense for you. She said, what do you mean? I said, okay, so I'm flying out to give this talk in the evening. Great. I can't get a flight out to the next morning. What if I stayed that night and then I left at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and in the morning I did a staff morning of reflection and then at lunch I gave a lunch talk. And she was excellent when she was listening to me. She had never heard of me. She had never heard me talk. She was just recommended to me by Brian Kissinger. Um, blast from the past, Brian Kissinger. And she said this, and it it, it shocked me to my core because um, she kind of, it is very easy in the professional circuit to come in, give your can talk, and to leave. And I find that we are forcing markets to respond to us and what we think they need to hear rather than A, what the Lord wants them to hear, or B, what their shepherds need think that they need to hear. So when I come up to people and I say, no, 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 you don't hire me to come give a can talk. I have a retreat. I have talks that I do and give. I, you know, no human being can give 100% original stuff all the time. Like, it's impossible. I said, but everything I do, I want it to be what I, I call this phrase, missional continuity. I want to come in with what you're already doing do, and help do that just to be a catalyst in that and then you know I, I say this to people and this woman was really like happy about that but i've had people like literally break down crying when i say that because they're like you know thank you so much like it's so hard getting a speaker and you know we just have to churn out these big events and i'm like i know exactly what you mean i am sick and tired of having people the number of people that come to an event define whether or not that event was successful and I know we, we say this all the time in ministry. We all, all of us do. I want changed hearts and not blah, blah, blah. But what are the changed hearts? Like, what do we mean when we say that? So when I, when I hear this message, um, so here's another thing Francis Chan said that sucker punched me in the groin. He said that when he had first finished um, seminary, he was a new pastor, you know, new, uh, like associate pastor maybe, I don't even know. He said that uh, he heard this guy, he went to a church growth conference which is very big in the Protestant world, not at all in the Catholic world. And at this conference, this guy talked about how he spends like a, a half of his budget every year on a Christmas program, right? Can you imagine that? Hmm. An entire half, 50% of his budget is spent on a Christmas program that happens once a year for his town. And uh, he says, you know, people come four to six hours a week. They're trained. They do all these, you know, Christmas carols and pageantry and all of this stuff. And so afterwards, um, and he, you know, it's well attended, right? Standing room only. Uh, Francis Chan walks up to him and says, you know, I was thinking while you were talking, like here you have people that are coming four to six hours a week, you know, putting on reindeer antlers and singing, you know, <laughs> Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. He said, well, what if you, wouldn't it be easier if you just had those people like tell their neighbors about Christ, invite them over for a meal and just love them, wouldn't that be easier and a lot cheaper? And, and the pastor without blinking says, well, of course it would be. And it would be a lot better, but no one's going to do that. And he said, no, you're right. Of course they won't. I, you know, what was I thinking? And they both kind of like accepted the fact that what we give to people is less than the gospel. Or it's just the words of the gospel. We don't love them. We don't go to our neighbor. And then we come up with programs and, and presenters 
and this whole celebrity culture and the flawless silver bullet program. And we do all these things with the hope that eventually we'll make a disciple or win someone new or whatever. And he says, when the ingredient is go to your next door neighbor and love them and welcome them and tell them about Christ and all this stuff. And that bothers me because I know it's 100% correct. Are we contributing to that? Yeah. See, that's that's his point that he makes later is, but the whole like conference culture, book culture, program culture is all based around programs and people, you know, amazing presenters and all this stuff. It's all based around that. And so he says, you know, a pastor can't help but buy into the celebrity culture. And he said, but we have people who are never praying, trying to lead people to Christ through an event. And it, they wonder why it doesn't work. But, I mean, that doesn't answer my question. Are, are we contributing to that? What, what do you mean, me and you? Yeah. By the sheer fact that we're doing this podcast, that we, you know, have a Patreon page, that we're booking live shows right now. Are we contributing to that? Like, are we part of that problem? Maybe. Maybe. Hmm. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying that I disagree with you. I'm, I'm just like, I feel very, very uncomfortable. But I'm not saying that I disagree with you. Like, I want. I say there's so much in my heart that wants to do the radically Christ-centered thing. And then I can't be bothered to do morning prayers sometimes because I'm too tired. Nine times out of ten, when I can't wake up early enough in the morning to have an hour alone with God or half an hour alone with God, it's because of some indulgent behavior the night before. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Netflix binging, drinking beer with friends, drinking beer alone, Scapping drinking beer while crying, <laughs> chit-chatting <laughs> with you, editing Catching Foxes. You are my downfall. Or actually, you're really like Balaam's ass, and you are speaking words of truth to me while I ride you. <laughs> or a bit of both. Yeah. <laughs> a bit of both. Or a bit of both. And all this stuff. I mean, like, here's the deal, people. If this doesn't bother you, you're not doing it right. Like... It should make us uncomfortable to think like, oh, look, I've turned a ministry into a job. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I, listen, you're, you'll you get no argument from me on that. There is, I, I'm going <laughs> to, um, I mean, but Paul does talk about like how people who preach should be well, should be compensated. I hate that song. Pay so me what you owe me. What do they call that? What? Mumble rap? That's what that sounds like. Um. No, I mean, he does. He said a, a worker deserves his wages, right? Um, basically, the evangelist deserves to have a share, right? You ought to take care of him. St. Paul gloated over the fact that he didn't, as an apostle, have to assert his rights because he made tents and sold them and could support himself. But then you think of things like Second Corinthians chapter 4, which is one of my favorite passages. Christ, though he was rich, became, for, became poor for your sake so that by his poverty, you might become rich. And you think about that, and you internalize that, and you realize, okay, so now I'm called to be Christ-like. Christ has filled me up with the riches, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places he has blessed me with. There is nothing left that God could possibly have to give me. 
because he gave me his Holy Spirit. He gave me redemption to the death and resurrection of Jesus. I have it all. I have the Eucharist. I have confession when I fall. This is amazing. This is my life. I need to go out there. And it's like, yeah, but I can't be bothered. You know, like, what am I doing? What am I doing, Luke? When I don't do the Jesus stuff unless I'm getting paid for the Jesus stuff. And I pat myself on my back because there are some ministries where I give them free talks because I know they can't afford it. And so I'm like, yeah, you know, once a year I'll like partner up with some organization. I'll give free talks to them because they couldn't afford even, even a small stipend. Look at me. I'm a hero. Mm -hmm. At the same time, my son Noah's going to have his tonsils out in a week and a half. Yeah. I got to pay for that shit. Right. This is the, this is the heartbreak that goes on. Like I'm so excited. Like, do people understand if you've never done this professionally, like what it's like to teach Catholicism and to, to get people to see Genesis to Jesus, to Revelation, to the Catholic Church, to the Eucharist, to the teaching of Pope John Paul II's theology, the body, to like you just begin to weave all of this stuff together and people like the light comes on in huge, huge ways. There is nothing more meaningful than to watch that happen when it's about the gospel. I taught my girls how to do, how to understand like feet and inches and how to like say, oh, so-and-so is three feet tall. How many inches is that? You know, and they figure that out. And Katiri, my oldest, could not understand what that meant. And I explained it to her, lost my patience a couple times, explained it to her like five different ways. And then she got it. And then it was like secondhand to her. And that light, you get to see that light come on. I understand why teachers are teachers, because you get to see that light come on in kids' eyes. Mm -hmm. But to do that about faith and to do that for adults is wild. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, but don't worry. There are bishops in France who have entire female religious orders that they're, like, raping. Oh, yeah. And forcing, <laughs> forcing their children to get abortions or them to get abortions. Right? There are priests Wait, who are taking... in France? I thought that was in India. Well, it's, like, all over the place, man. There are priests. <laughs> it's everywhere. It's in your backyard. <laughs> there are priests who are just going to seminary because it's just a, a sexual free-for-all orgy, right? There are bishops who are turning a blind eye to the to infanticide. Yeah, there are the all hell? these things going on <laughs> in the church, and it's like I bet you, Bishop. I bet you, you have you have not seen that light go on in someone's eye when the Holy Spirit connects the gospel, what Christ did 2,000 years ago, to that individual person's heart. I bet you haven't seen that in 20 years, Bishop. Right? Like, when you get to see ministry come alive? No, I I, I mean, there's something, like, I remember coming back from the, the, Sikh, the, um, the Sikh conference and just uh, being like, this is what I, I just was like, how can I go back to anything else? Like, yeah, I, and and it was kind of interesting because, like, God was, like, um, working in my life in a very, like, weird way where I just knew he was. I, I had the image of, um, I think it's Peter going away from Rome, yeah. and he, like, walks past Christ, and he goes, um, Lord, where where are you going? And Christ goes to Rome, and he's like, crap, I got to go there. Because he, he, he knew he was going to be killed if he if uh, he Yeah, he I'm going to Rome to die. And he goes Quo back. Quo vadis. And so, Quo vadis. Where are you going? Yeah. So I, I knew that I needed to just, like, to like doubt on myself a bit because it was just like to be able to just talk with so many people he, you know i mean i had a kid come up and tell him and this is not just like i bring this up not be not to self-congratulate myself or <laughs> us but just to like 
you, to finally be able to be in a place where you're like you're hearing about what you're doing and you're seeing the fruit and you're seeing how the Lord is um, moving. You can like you know that I, you know I, I had a kid come up to me and say that like you know he had a stutter. He did a great job of he he was using a bunch of great great strategies. So good job, buddy. But anyways, he said um, that like hearing me share my issues with that gave him the courage to evangelize others that he could do that. And then, and then made it helped him go to like speech therapy and hearing that and just kind of like, like really, like I think why seek for me was such a profound experience was like to know that it was like, Oh my gosh, the Lord is using this in profound ways. Oh my gosh. And I was like, I, we have to get out there. Like we have to, we have, we have to get out there because something amazing is going on. Like, God is doing something incredible with this. We need to like get out of the way and let him continue to work. And there's a weird disconnect when you aren't able to hear those stories. So part of me is like, no, we need to be out there. Like we need to be with these people. So there's, I, I like, I get it. Like that sense of like, I love being out there. I love doing stuff. When you, when you see that, part of the brain goes, Oh, that's really good. Or, Oh, that makes sense. Like I've, I've been there. Like that's, in, that's incredible. I, I think there is, um, I don't know. Like what am I trying to get at here? The, the tension is good. I think that tension needs to be there. I don't think it's necessarily all or nothing, but I do think there needs to be this kind of constant reminder of, of, um, what I'm doing here, this like like this like ministry that we're doing is not our it's not our faith. This is an overflow of our, of 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 our faith. Everything we do, every talk you give, everything that I do, every ministry thing that we do, needs needs to come from an overflow of our relationship with God. Not not a canal. This is a Saint Bernard of Clairvaux thing. And I think it's when that becomes more of a canal and you just give, 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 give that, well, like, why are you doing this? Like Christ hardly ever tells anyone to actually go out and, sp and spread the gospel. It's always an impulse. So um, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is that uh, I agree with you, but I don't think you want to fall that off off of a cliff. I think what you like um, want to do is go, why does this convict me so much? Where's Jesus in this? What is he calling me to change? He's calling you to change something, I think, because you're so convicted about this. Probably got to stop my cocaine habit. <laughs> mm, that makes it way more fun. I know. Like, I, I hear what you're saying about the tension. But I think there's an element where my fear is I can I can say, yes, there's a tension. I'll keep doing what I'm doing, and every so often I'll guilt trip myself and call that tension and then feel good about myself that at least I feel guilty. You know what I mean? Like where you do like, yeah. But yeah, I, yeah, yeah. You know, like I, I heard Andy Stanley say this one time where he equated the preaching of John the Baptist like a, a feel-good guilt trip where it's like, oh, man, that message was so convicting but then you never change your life. There becomes this element where getting a religious guilt trip makes you feel like, yeah, I agree. I am a crappy Christian, but that's what I should be doing. But then you don't actually do it. And so what ends up happening to you is that you kind of 
you, you keep coming back to be guilted as a way of soothing actually your pride. Like, look, you arrogant fool. Look at what you're doing. And you're like, yes, I am an arrogant fool. And you still stay an arrogant fool. <laughs> you still don't do the thing. So my fear is what part of me am I like you said, don't, you know, all in where you fall off a cliff or whatever. Like, what if the Lord in lieu of the gospel wants me to let the world push me off or near that cliff and then I pass through the midst of them, right? Like this notion of like the world and its discontent with God should be driving me to a cliff. But instead, it's lifting me up on its shoulders called patreon.com slash CF. You know what I mean? Like, like that's sometimes the way that I interpret it. And I understand that I can be a, an idiot with this stuff. I understand that I can apply to things that it probably shouldn't be applied to. I can be scrupulous. I can be all those things. But my fear is like with the Anglican bishop, when St. Paul preached, cities rioted. When I preached, they served me to eat. And I, I try to do things in my life that that pull back away from speaker culture, right? What do I mean by speaker culture? People that travel around, they give talks, they get patted on the back. And uh, I was talking with this one guy, and he said, you know who my favorite Zoomville speakers are? First-year speakers, because they are still humble. They are have this total glazed eye look like, I don't deserve to be here. I and and they treat everyone around them, especially the volunteers, with such gratitude. He said, and you get to the year five or six or seven speakers, they're the worst. They're the ones who just they don't they they can't wait to get out of a conversation. Oh my gosh, you talked here two years ago and it changed my life. Thanks, thanks. Oh my gosh, I gotta go now, but thank you. Oh my gosh, bye. You you know what I mean, Luke? Yeah, but how like. But, but here's the deal. When you're doing it for a living at that level and that becomes your job, there's an element of like it's exhausting because when you give it when you're doing a conference, you're on from seven in the morning until 10 or 11 at night. Mm-hmm. And and you don't get a break when you take a break for lunch. That's where you actually meet the people you admire or just your coworkers. Like when I do a sumo conference we all have these planning lunches and we talk about the rest of the night and the next morning and we go through everything and we pray for one another. We pray for like half an hour, 45 minutes. Like there's prayer throughout the whole thing, all this stuff. And I understand the need for downtime, but I know there's a part where it's indulgent. We call it the green room effect where I can sneak away from the crowds and go to the green room. And when I was the first year, so my whole thing is, I will never treat a volunteer rudely. So if they put the wrong food in front of me and, oh, my God, it has gluten, I'll never, ever complain. Even though six weeks of this stuff and week in and week out, it's the same crap and blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Like there's this element where yeah. you can very easily lose your gratitude. But I think even more, Luke, is like this awareness that God is letting me do this. Right? So take out the human component of it. It's like I get to I get to talk to 6000 high school students about what Jesus Christ has done for me. How can I take that for granted? Hey Gomer, can we talk about we had just like talk about an apostolate that we both love. Yeah, sure. What apostolate is that, Luke? Uh, it's called a door. Uh, a, a door. door I have many doors in my house. <laughs> i told him i gave him a pitch and i said i go here's the deal i give parish missions 
and I give 20% to you, and I keep 80% of the money that's raised. And then at the end of every night, I say, we want to help you open a door to Jesus. And they're like, We're, that's a hard pass. <laughs> I was like, dang it. <laughs> the cannonball of confetti just explodes. Boom. Yeah. I'm going to tell you something. Did you know that youth ministry is not just for rich, white, suburban kids? Did you know that? Mm, I find that hard to believe. Convince me otherwise. I agree, too. Unless, here's the loophole, you can figure out a way to create a ministry that serves underserved parishes. You know, like parishes that can't afford an actual salary, so you create a nonprofit so missionaries can fundraise their own salary from all over the country in order to go serve in these areas. Oh, wait a second. A door already did that. That's right. Work alongside. This is this is a pitch for you millennials to come and join and just try it out. Just try it out. Work alongside experienced missionaries and underserved parishes. You get to provide youth ministry and discipleship for middle school and high school students. You yourself receive weekly formation and mentorship. You get to learn how to grow in prayer and especially in my favorite thing, community. Buy my book. Gain valuable support raising experience. So if you're scared of how to fundraise and all that stuff, they're going to um they're gonna like help you um learn how to do it step step by step, which is an extremely yeah. Im- important skill to have to help. I mean, really, it's so important that we like help people find where they can support things that that they that they that they but, care about. So that is that is a valuable skill to have, and that door is going to help you learn it. Yeah, and you get to come to Houston and eat all the tacos. Taco, so, taco, tacos. Uh, and I'm not going to lie to you. Every Tuesday is Taco Tuesday, so you can head over to AdoreMinistries.com and find out more. This is for people who are thinking. Listen. I got a lot of stuff that I want to do, a lot of like a lot of desires in my heart to like serve the Lord and do something extreme, kind of like the stuff that we talked about in this podcast today. Maybe a door might be the right fit for you. So come check it out. They're recruiting now. They're looking for interns. They want to partner with people. So come on out. Go to adoreministries.com to find out more. Thank you to Adore for sponsoring this episode of Catching Foxes. No, I think you're being a little hard on yourself, but I think I, like I like um, so. There's this thing, like I mean, I'm gonna be real honest here. This is one of the dangers of uh, mainstream Protestantism. This is probably gonna sound a little bit harsh, but like there is this element of like the original church did this. Oh yeah, and like it's a false idol, like it's a complete false idol. And so I'm not saying that you are that like you're falling into that, but there's uh, you've got to be careful when like you read those guys, because that tends to be kind of the trap. I, I I think, and I've like, I've seen that. I mean, tons of times in high school and in things that I kind of pay attention to still. Um, And no one does that more than Francis Chan. Yeah. Oh yeah. Then that whole, that's the, I mean, I don't know him that well, but that doesn't surprise me. You know, I mean, his whole Um, thing is like acts of the apostles chapter two is the is the mandatory norm for what the church should be. Yeah. I um I think what would be good for you is to you how do you keep yourself in check? So what are your strengths? What are like what like you know what are your weaknesses? 
what are your boundaries? So, you know, so like one of the things like I love, honestly, I really do. I love that like you and I share hotel room whenever we travel together. I mean, people don't know this. I ask for a twin bed and we share the bed. <laughs> one bed, and one body. You know, and I like, I just, I'm like, because like, honestly, like when I'm in a hotel and if, you know, I'm by myself, it just becomes like a real like lonely thing and it just kind of sucks. And it, and it, like and it becomes a dangerous thing. Yeah. Oh, let's totally. be honest. We have penises and there's cable on. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not a good thing. It's, it's not because you're because you're just alone, and it sucks. And so, um, and I think you and I have kind of have this unspoken thing where we've like, yeah, we like just like up sharing room together, you know. And like I do that with yeah. other guys from work that I will travel with. Like I really prefer it when we share a room together because it's just way more enjoyable. Those are little boundaries, I think, to like keep things in you know in check. So for you, like. A guy like Matt Frad, who we both adore, like Matt's an extreme introvert. I mean, well, I'm sorry, I, I, I don't know if like extreme. Yeah, he's a big introvert. He's a big introvert. Yeah, and I've started um, to see that the more that I that I, like I've hung out with him. Um, you and I are not that, <laughs> you know. So, so like understanding that like we're gonna need that like you've got to be out there with the people. So whether that's going out there and just talking with kids, like um, Ben Walther did a great job of this when I saw him at Steubenville of the Rockies, you know, and I've, um, I've kind of like, just, and that's why I wanted to be at like seek. I hardly ever left. Part of it was because I just felt like I was there because of my job as well. I needed to just like be present for when that, you know, came up, but I wanted to be there not to get people's like praises, but uh, to, um, I mean, maybe a little. But you wanted to be with the people. <laughs> totally. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And, and like, you know what? That's what I love. Like, Matt, the, so what we're talking about, if you don't, if you haven't heard, Matt had a booth, a wonderful booth right next to the exit for Pints with Aquinas and his wife's Among the Lilies, two great podcasts. You should listen. But when we showed up, Matt left. And he left because as an introvert, he was so overwhelmed for two hours of smiling and, oh, thanks. And, yeah, let's take a, let's take a picture and all that stuff. And then we get there, and we stay there for five hours <laughs> straight. <laughs> and then the only time we ever leave the booth is to go find other people to talk to that are around the – like, we – people don't realize this. We were there for three days. I was there for three days. You were there for three and a half, I think, or four. We never left the exhibit area. No, we didn't. We sure did not. <laughs> we, we basically stayed in, like, an – like, we probably moved about 100 yards back and forth. <laughs> at one point we did go talk with brian greenfield who was one of the presenters and a big listener of the show brian is so awesome i want to be him when i grow up and we just sat down at the oh, table yeah that was such he's a cool dude we sat down at one of the lunch tables and just talked for like a straight hour hour and a half this could also be me just getting because i'm not saying that i am on that i am uncomfortable with what you are t t talking about but there's an element for me where I'm like, okay, so we're starting to book more shows. I've done some more speaking stuff. I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> you know, like it's yeah. nice. It's been real. It's, you know, um, it's been a huge blessing for me and for Aaron. And it's just been really great for, you know, like our future family. It's been like, it's been really cool. And I, I don't want to see that stop. Like God is moving and it's been fantastic to be a part of it. Yeah. And it's been a huge blessing. And I am, I'm like, 
I don't want this to stop. This has been awesome. But I also see where you're coming from as well. Because, like, I was definitely um, railing against it in the early years of the podcast. Because I was more tired of what people w- were talking about. But, yeah. Uh, I, there's a, there's a part where that's like, oh, everyone, please still book us for live shows. I, I don't know. Is this really self-indulgent? Is this boring? I don't think it's self-indulgent. I don't, I don't know how to deal with this, Luke. I really don't. I believe... I believe so much in what Christ did, and I see so little in what the church accomplishes. But what you do, so, like, you're not living the high life or anything, man. You know what I mean? Like, like you don't take the money that, like, you make from all the stuff and buy, like, crazy-ass cars and a big house and all the stuff. Like, you, like, feed your kids, and it and it allows them to be homeschooled, and... Like, you give so much of yourself to a lot of people. And you can't lose sight of that, especially your family. (sighs) Now, if you want to talk about, like, the disconnect between the church and this whole just, like, comfort zone thing we kind of have, like, yeah, like, let's, like, that's, you're you're totally right. And And there is a danger there. And I think we, like... Like, honestly, what I think we probably have to do is, like, you and I have to set what are the principles for us when we do this? What does this look like? So, to me, that's, and then, you know, I mean, we, we, we don't have to go through it. Actually, no, let's, let's like, um, do it really, really quick here. We're going to uh, share a hotel room together. We're going to be with the people who are out there. We're going to, you know. I think it's good to build up a community with the other on um, the speakers and stuff. Cause that's like really important because it's a yeah. part of even the like part of evangelization is a, pro- is a proclamation from a community. There's a lot of power in that, but I think we need to like make sure that we're spending time with the people that were there to like to serve. Yeah. You know, probably call each other out if, if we're getting a little bit of like a thick head or anything like that, or think that we are, we are, you know, anything but this two stupid idiots who used to share a project room together while they claim to be Republicans, <laughs> you know, and then for yourself, like you should probably have like three or five principles. They're like, this is what I do. I charge on um, this much money because this is how much I need to make in order to provide for my, for my, for my family. I'm going to spend this amount of hours with people that I serve. Or like this is what my time ratio will be. All things being equal, if you're if you're not sick, you know, or whatever. Like just so you, because like I th- I think like Matt Frad has that, and it fits him and how he does his, he does his ministry. Yeah. <laughs> hey Luke. <laughs> hey buddy. <laughs> Round two for this one. <laughs> <laughs> hey Luke, you know what annoys can you me? Guys, Luke, you know Can you guys guess which ad this is gonna be for? Yeah. <laughs> I'm already what blushing. <laughs> what what annoys you, my dear friend? Oh, when baby boomers use the word touch when describing religious things. <laughs> I, that's an oddly specific thing I was not expecting. Yeah, well, I had to watch a video wrong. that may or may not have to do with various funds being collected of a religious nature <laughs> and i'm watching this video and i'm like 
dear Lord, they say Jesus touched me and we need to touch each other like a little bit too many times. And afterwards, all of us millennials who watch the video were all like, yeah, that makes me very uncomfortable. Can we please find different language? <laughs> and then the whole time I'm thinking, no, there's one place where that language would be appropriate. Catholicmatch.com. <laughs> Um, okay, so we are sponsored again by our good friends at Catholic Match. For some reason, they have not complained for any of our ads, which is insane. How awesome, last though. week. How awesome. We literally <laughs> had a prima noctra joke for a Catholic Match ad, so I don't think they listen. <laughs> the best part was we got three emails or text messages being like, I had to, I had to pull over. I was laughing so hard when you said prima noctra. First night. Sorry. <laughs> The hell you will. Um, I'm the ugliest man in this movie. Um, anyways, uh, we're probably not gonna be able to top that during this ad, no. but we do want to talk. Can I just talk to all the guys who are who are on there? Hey, Luke, I'm a guy listening to the show. Okay, first of all, let's hope that you have worked out a bit and that you have taken a shower. Second. Um, let's not send creepy messages. Um, can we, let's just do a, a like, send a little heart. And if they have a heart back, then, then perhaps send a message, but let's just not let weird messages. Let's not say the Holy spirit is calling me to do this. Let's not be creepy. Let's just send a little like, see if, see if, and see if they get a like back. Yeah. Let's just bring it down a little bit. Yeah. 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 You might find a particular profile picture, uh, absolutely beautiful. And you desperately want to go on a date. But I'm going to tell you, if you let your desperation show, it's not going to work. No, no. So all you got to do is just do a bit of a like. And if, you know, they like you back, then just I'm gonna see what happens. And if they aren't into you, it's fine. Your world is totally fine. If your world falls apart because they're not into you, you have other issues. <laughs> Anyways, regardless, you should be on Catholic Match if you're not if you're not if you're not, um, if you're not um, dating anyone because you're a pansy for not pursuing your vocation. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> Luke, what? Uh, always what? swinging Listen. for the fences. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to our fine friends it's at CatholicMatch.com. So right now. <laughs> the bottom line is everyone you sh- uh you should be on there it is a great it is a good website uh catholicmatch.com listen be honest you've you've heard of it this is just a reminder that it's that it's there and you should probably be be i'm doing it if if you're not yeah it probably takes you five minutes to set up a profile and when you set up your profile add the phrase catching foxes made me do it catching foxes made me do it find each other find love catholicmatch.com thank you at the fine folks at catholic match for supporting our show so one of the things that i do before i give a talk to total strangers and i learned this a long time ago and i i I put this into practice unless i like literally straight up forget every time i give a talk which is dear lord i don't know these people and because i don't know them i don't love them but you know them and you love them and i love you so lord you need to give me love your love for these people so that i can say all that you want me to say and only what you want me to say to show them your love for them and i pray that seconds before you know what typically you know typically when i have a couple moments before you know when i'm in the room with people but we're all sitting down and i can have a little privacy or like while they're introducing me you know reading a bio 
It is very bizarre in one instance to to be a speaker who is hired to teach people about the gospel because I have an ability to talk and I'm funny. I can weave funny and I can, I can weave a talk. I can craft it, right? I'm good at the craft. Not always, not all the time. Sometimes I bomb and it's the worst when people pay me to give a talk and I bomb, but it's the reality. Um, which is why people, I think, do canned talks. I think one of the reasons why we do canned talks is because we're afraid to go where the Holy Spirit wants us to. What if we tell the audience the truth and none of them want to listen? I never want the love of money to prevent me from saying the truth. And I never want my love of being patted on the back to prevent me from saying the truth. But speaker culture, conference culture, no matter what the good intention, it's still a scaffolding that I have to stand on in order to be a part of it. And sometimes I stare at the scaffolding instead of wanting to be a part of the temple of the living God, right? To join in, to be a living stone, right? And that always, that, oh, I shouldn't say that always, it makes me afraid. I remember the worst, my worst experience at a conference was a regional diocesan conference and i was the mc and gave one talk it's always a diocese thing <laughs> you people but i mean they had a they had a, overall they had an excellent conference it was a high school youth conference it was excellently done but the speakers were all introduced by high school students so as an mc i didn't have to introduce anyone and on saturday so it was like friday night saturday sunday on saturday my thing was i had two minutes in the very beginning to introduce the whole day and then i because they had workshops and they had teens introduce the individual speakers i didn't have to say a single thing until dinner time so at 8 a.m and then at like 5 p.m can you imagine that i had nothing to do that Hmm. whole time do you know what i did play video games i went back to my hotel which was, it was at a hotel conference center. I went to my hotel room. I plugged in my Xbox 360 and I played Minecraft for six hours and took a nap and pooped. I didn't (laughs) talk to anyone. I didn't hang out with anyone. And everyone else was doing the exact same thing. At one point, this nun came up to me who shall remain nameless. And she said, you know, I am so not used to this. I am literally just hired to give a talk and to leave. And I said, I know, me too. It's weird. Sumo conferences, you're not, you don't do that. Sumo conferences, you are as a team and you are praying together. You come early so that you can pray for an hour together. You know, you go to mass together. You do all sorts of stuff together as a team. You go to each other's talks. But man alive, so many other conferences, they don't think that way at all. And so you just go, mm-hmm. you give your spiel, and you go away. Now, most conferences, especially Dawson, are so poor, the MC is also the keynote speaker, <laughs> right? So I give all the talks except for the women's session. And I'm kind of upset that I haven't given enough of those. But yeah, I was was totally disconnected from the people. Totally. Do you think it would help um, to have some, I don't know. I mean, like. uh, There are times that if Kateri was older, I would ask her to come with me and we would just do schoolwork and she would hang out with daddy. And I would have someone with me. That'd be cool. I would love it. I would absolutely. I know love that's it. what like a lot of bands do when they get older. 
Yeah. They just bring their kids with them yeah. when they're on tour and stuff. I mean, me without you did that. I met their his daughter um, on the on the bus at one o'clock in the morning. Um, <laughs> I remember just, that? No judgment. no judgment. No judgment. No <laughs> judgment. But I, I oh, but like when you tour, your life is so weird and messed up that it right. They all lived on the tour bus. But my, um, you know, I would love to do that. I would love to be able to for her to be old enough that she could sit in the back while Daddy gave yet another talk about how important he is, and uh, and then me and her be able to bounce from thing to thing to thing. I would love to do that. I mean, do you think are are you like? tempted to just get like a normal job and just do ministry like like just on your own on the side just kind of give it all up i'll tell you no uh, uh, no and i'll tell you why i've spent my whole life preparing for this and uh a couple of priests on our patreon page reached out to me i want to say actually one was father curtis but there was a, another priest as well they reached out to me one of these episodes where i where it was our lament over the scandal Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, you know, all my eggs, I've been preparing my whole life just to, teach, to do ministry in the church. My All my eggs are in this basket. Do you remember me saying that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, I, I literally cannot imagine what I would be doing. Like, I, I, I would be a speaker because Lord knows I'm terrible at email. <laughs> Lord knows I'm terrible <laughs> at spreadsheets. I would be a speaker. That's all I do well. That's all I do well. I, I'm a good speaker. I'm an excellent lover. And I'm a mediocre friend. (laughs) By the way, speaking of being terrible at everything else that doesn't involve speaking, you posted a let's chat thing and said, how about this date? And I'm never going to talk to Luke to see if that works for him. Yeah, that was my bad. (laughs) I saw that. I was like, what? No, we're both going to be in Atlanta. Did you think that maybe I would want to hang out with John? Well, we were going to be all day Friday, all day Saturday. I thought, well, on Sunday, maybe we could spend an hour talking to the people who give us thousands of dollars. We literally have a spreadsheet with different dates and times for them that would work. Uh, the dates and times, half of them have passed. They were in January. Yeah, we, and you didn't even tell me that it. was there. Yes. You freaking told me to do it. I said, okay, I did it. I know, but I didn't know there was a, 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 a spreadsheet where people put in their times. It this is brought to you by patreon.com slash CF. <laughs> I saw it. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> I saw your spreadsheet and I was like, what the hell? So then I wrote in, did you see what I wrote? I was like, I notice all the times are on Sunday. And then Rebecca was like, because that's what Luke asked us for Sunday time. Because that's what you told me to put down. <laughs> you literally said, ask for a Sunday from them that works best. God, I'm a broken man, Luke. I'm a <laughs> broken, was... broken man. <laughs> <laughs> Again, you said this is what happens when one posts without the other knowing. I posted because you told me to. <laughs> I can't be expected to remember this stuff. Luke, I'm a speaker. <laughs> I don't care about the details. Serve. Serve, Luke. Oh my gosh. I love you. Oh God. I don't know how. I don't know how anyone loves me. Oh, listen. It's rough, but it's smooth at the end. Um <laughs> Oh man, we oh. Man. Let me tell you. If we let me lose tell a you. A bunch of speaking gigs because of this. I'm going to be so pissed at you. I really love it. It's so much fun. Speaking? It's such a blessing. What? Huh? Wait. What did you say? If I lose if, a bunch of? You know, if we lose like speaking gigs because of this episode, I'm going to be so angry with you. <laughs> Why? So you can perpetuate Babylon taking over the gospel? <laughs> no, because I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> 
because you belong to the system, Luke. <laughs> yeah, out of out of the two of us, I'm the one who's most like the man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, can I ask you a serious question? Yeah. Have you ever listened to Every Knee Shall Bow? No. Damn it. I mean, I love you. I, I, I love Dave. I think it's a great idea. I would like to listen. I just keep forgetting to add it. Like I, like I don't like I. <laughs> Back pedal, Luke. Front pedal. Yeah. I don't know what pedaling you're doing. Run over my heart. Uh, um, I don't listen. I'm kind of not podcasted out, but I'm a little bit like I just got my few, and this is where I am right now. I'm not. I'm not in one of those things where I'm like I'm listening to tons of different podcasts. Man, I've got I, a bunch. I, I'm just coming out of that. I'm just coming out of that. It's always weird, right? It is, it is weird because I will consume 30 podcasts a week. And then I'll be like, you know what? Here's the three I'm going to actually give a crap about. And then I'll go like that for months. And then I'll be like, oh, I need all the podcasts right now. Someone tell me what Apple is doing <laughs> from 10 different perspectives on 10 separate <laughs> podcasts where one guy is on four of them. <laughs> Thanks, Mike Hurley. I need you. Okay, let's do a segment we haven't done in a long time. Go for it. Gomer. What are you listening to? Huh, music wise right now? Yeah. What are you jamming, my friend? What are you jamming? Audiobooks, Luke. What do you listen to? Making culture or culture mm. making. Making culture, culture making. Andy Crouch. He's a Protestant, but he has this brilliant understanding of culture and art and uh culture making and all the things that involve that and how it gives glory to God. He talks about the differences between uh, being creative and then posturing Mm. and imitating and how those things are important in art. But if they become uh, ends in themselves, they corrupt art. So why are Christian movies terrible? Because they want to be, they don't want to tell an interesting story. They just want to be safe for the family and have a gospel value. So instead of the form of art, being explored and expressed it is the like like a a renaissance painter showcasing light in a caravaggio painting or something like that or a rembrandt Mm -hmm. with the shadows Mm -hmm. it is just it is just literally a cookie cutter story stamped 500 times mimicking the culture without adding to the culture and i've yeah and so i love i so that book i've listened to a couple times I listened to it in conjunction with Happy City, uh, which is about how architecture affects human happiness, and I love it. I love it. It's a it's an excellent audiobook. I um, it inspires. So I'm teaching a class on building intercultural competencies. So it's like how to deal with people from other cultures and races and ethnicities that have different ways of thinking than you, and how to help them deal with your ways of thinking. And uh, I have the Talkster for free up on SoundCloud. SoundCloud.com slash AMD Gomer. And it's called Enculturate. But I've studied so much on this one issue because I want to understand how to teach the gospel across the board to different cultures. And uh, it's fascinating to me. What about you, Luke? What do you listen to? Avant-garde jazz? So I'm going to go into, well, actually, um, <laughs> I just I, I so I heard this guy when he played with Dave Matthews Band. 
don't judge. Uh, but uh, man, there's nothing like if if I'm in the right mood where I'm just it's like a spring day and I don't really have any cares. I don't feel like being very deep. I love Dave Matthews Band. Um, good, but I somehow s- discovered a Bella f- a Bella Fleck and the Fleck Tones song, and the song is called Big Country. Try to imagine if you had like a banjo that wasn't banjo stuff, but it was just more like I don't know how really to explain it. But they also have like a saxophone that sounds like the, that sounds like the sax in like a uh, like the opening credits song of an eighties eighties like eighties like sitcom. <laughs> it's amazing. It's like one of my favorite songs that I've ever heard. I mean, it is again. I don't know how else to describe it besides like non bluegrass banjo that also has like a saxophone like it's coming from like the alf theme song it's so good that is so good uh and the song's called big it's called big country and I'm like obsessed with it right right now. Nice. Um, and then uh, um, the other song that I've been enjoying is by like uh, is by this one um, rapper named Bus Driver, and the song's called "The Year I Became Like Motherfucking G," and it's really cool. Like it's one of the best rap songs I've heard in a long time. Very very good. Uh, do tell what's it about. Uh, it's about the year he became a motherfucking <laughs> He sure did. He uh, sure did. Nipulate thunderstorms, no more shucking corn. Ooh, we kick this bitch when you and me. I've been turned to a cheap. Ooh, we kick this bitch when you and me. I've been turned to a cheap. Make you see what I see. And uh, yeah, dude, it's um, I really I recommend those two songs. So I uh, again. It is Big Country by Bella Fleck and the Flecktones, and The Year I Became a Mother G by the rapper Bus Driver. Uh, what have you been reading besides, like, hipster Protestant books? <sighs> <laughs> um, my favorite sci-fi author um, came out with a new book, and I didn't realize it. And uh, so I bought it. It's about 600 pages. I read it in about three days. Because I, thanks to Father David Huss, I discovered a feature in accessibilities on the iPhone. Uh, if you swipe down with two fingers with this feature turned on, it'll read the screen to you. So I basically turned it into the world's worst audiobook. And then the man said, bah, 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 bah. but um, it's called Renegades by Craig Allenson. And it's like book number seven, I think, book number seven of this series that I love. The first book's called Columbus Day. The series is called Expeditionary Force. I love it. It is hysterical. It is it is just awesome. There's a magical beer can named Skippy. Um, long story. <laughs> but uh, I introduced it to, uh, to Bob Rice, and he's like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. These books are so good, but the audiobooks are amazing, too, because they have R.C. Bray. He did The Martian. Did you ever see the movie The Martian? Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I've heard the audiobook. Yeah, the audiobook. So that guy that does the audiobook, he is, in my opinion, he is the best fiction audiobook reader. And he has so 
many amazing voices that are the character that the author of these books says he no longer hears the voice of the characters that he originally had in his head. You know, when you're writing, you know, whatever he only has RC Bray's voice in his head. I thought that was so funny. And I do too. When I'm reading, even when, even when Siri's reading it to me, I like re listen to it in my head as if it was RC Bray. So when I buy the book, read it on Kindle and then I buy the audiobook, even though I've already read the book, just to get his performance. So that book's called Renegades. It's a science fiction book. I'm also reading um, The Sources of Christian Ethics by Father Survey Pinkers. In my opinion, it is the best moral theology book. Some people quibble with his stacking all the blame on Occam, but when you read it, he weaves history, sociology, and moral theology so well that I, I, I don't know if, if you listen to my Bearded Virtues bearded justice virtues thing with tony vicinda um catholic beard bomb if you listen to my podcast on it but it was straight father survey pink hairs oh, it, nice. every time i open the book the book's like 400 pages you open it up and you just read two pages and you're like holy crap i know more about the gospel the church fathers and moral living and saint thomas aquinas than i've ever known in my entire life and vatican too like amazing amazing oh that's really cool yeah what about you you reading anything fancy like that uh, so I'm reading a book. Uh, you remember how I told you that I decided that I want to like get into architecture more? Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because with, with your all. year of maturity, exactly, exactly. So I live in a town that has beautiful architecture. I'm like, I don't understand any of it, so I wanna, I want to understand more. So I bought two books. Um, one's called Analyzing Art uh, Architecture. This is the third edition by Simon Unwin. And it's super cool, and that's been very. And it's kind of cool because he, he doesn't really go through the like. He doesn't go through the history of architecture. He just like goes through all of the different styles and all the, and like why like like why things are a certain way. So he'll compare a church from the eighth century to like a downtown corporate building in twenty first century Amsterdam. You know. Oh, that's like that. really cool. Yeah. So it's it's. It's I like, so like that. That's awesome. Yeah, like I kind of enjoy that because it's um, I don't like I want to know the history, but I want to just understand like why, like what, like why does light, like how do these people like build it on light, you know? So I, as, as opposed to like this is th- th- like I do want to know again, like down the road, what's a Victorian English style. But I would rather just kind of know, like, why are windows here and, like, what places are trying to go for that that uncertain effect. So it's really cool. Again, it's called Analyzing Architecture by Simon Unwin. Then I'm also trying to read, and we're going to get into when I can't pronounce the books that I'm trying to read. Um, Vertuvius, the 10 books uh, on architecture, V-I-R, sorry, V-I-T, sorry, um, Vitruvius. I had no idea how yeah, to, Vitruvius. How to pronounce this. Vitruvius. Vitruvius. There we go. Son of a bitch. Of course, you would um, know that after like three seconds of me trying to say it after I've had it for two months. Um, so this is a really old book. came out in the time of Augustine, I believe. And it's kind of like the the architecture book. And that's been pretty interesting as well. And then I'm also um, diving into the Brothers Caravas or whatever, however you pronounce that. I'm about 50 pages in. That's a super cool book. I'm really enjoying that a lot, actually. Interesting. Ooh, that's really cool. I'm also reading Bishop Barron's uh, 
series. Uh, oh gosh, what are they called? The classics. I have them right here. Word on Fire classics. Uh, St. Augustine's Confessions, before by Bishop Barron, but the translation is by Frank Sheed, which is, he's one of my favorite authors. I love Frank Sheed. Um, and I'm actually at the part in St. Augustine where he steals, as a teenager, he steals the plums from a neighbor. And I just, it's awesome. It's awesome the way that uh, that he talks about, like, loving evil. And oh, it's just so fascinating. Oh, here it is. What was it then that in my wretched folly I loved in you, O theft of mine, deed wrought in the dark night when I was 16? For you were not lovely, you were a theft. Or are you anything at all that I should talk with you? The pears that we stole were beautiful, for they were created by thee, thou most beautiful of all, creator of all, thou good God, my sovereign and true good. The pears were beautiful, but it was not the pears that my empty soul desired. For I had any number of better pears of my own, and plucked those only that I might steal. For once I had gathered them, I threw them away, tasting only my own sin and savoring that with delight. For if I look, for if I took so much as a bite of any one of those pears, it was the sin that sweetened it. Oh man, That's, man, isn't it funny how people when they like like I don't know, make movies now they think they're profound when they're like. I'm the bad guy, and I'm bad just because I like being bad. Yeah. It's a rush of being bad. Like, Augustine, bitch, he wrote that in the third century or <laughs> sixth century. I never studied the early church. I don't care. <laughs> uh, so if Luke is going to summarize it, he's going to say, St. Augustine, I don't know Dick when he wrote. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Green jacket, yellow jacket, who gives a shit? Um, I, have you seen? So, I, I, you know, in our love of all things Marvel, let's talk about uh, that. F- yeah, let's do it real quick. Let's watch it. Oh shit, Luke! Luke got very aroused just now. That's what that was. Who do you think's doing the voiceover, Captain America? Okay, I had the hardest time determining who that was. That's who. That's who I thought it was at first. But his voice sounded just so different. Yeah, like I mean, it, it, it is him, but it just—it's yeah. not him. Uh, so let me tell you why I love that trailer. Number one, I love that trailer because it revealed next to nothing. Number two, it completely reshaped Endgame from the first trailer that we had about, like, we got to do something. I mean, what if this doesn't work? It's all we got or whatever it was. Like, mm-hmm. the other trailers felt like, hey, this is a Marvel movie. That trailer feels like, this is what despair looks like, <laughs> you know? And it totally changed the tone of what I feel like the movie's going to be. I like the first trailer, but I almost wish that this was the first thing that we saw. Uh, I like that this was the second thing that we saw because it was so different. It altered your expectation, but I get that's it. true. Yeah, yeah. I love a like piss Captain America looks. Yeah, yeah. And I I think it, that opening scene with him, it looks like he's in group therapy or something, mm-hmm. uh, where he's just like, <clears throat> like he looks pissed, but he also looks like. Like everyone else in the room has resigned themselves to accept it, and he can't. Yeah. So, like, if you haven't watched this yet, there is a quick sign that you see that say, um, "What do we do now that they're gone?" Yeah, referring to everyone who vanished half the pot. I, I just, I kind of, I think if I'm being honest, I love post post apocalyptic films. Yeah. So I'm just excited to see what, like, when half the people are gone, like, what's the world like? Like, how does Marvel paint that picture? It's the rapture, but everyone's dead. Oh, man. I'm so excited for that. 
So, uh, yeah, I am too. Now, have you watched Punisher Season 2 on Netflix? No, I gave up on that stuff when the first two episodes of The Defenders didn't really catch my interest. So I just was like, well, I'm done. Okay, so let me tell you my background. I was invested. (laughs) (laughs) I refuse to not watch every single thing that ever came out with the word Marvel on it on Netflix. I watched Daredevil Season 1, Jessica Jones Season 1, Daredevil Season 2, which introduces the Punisher character, Luke Cage Season 1, Iron Fist Season 1, and then um, The Defenders. Luke Cage, some people said Luke Cage was better than what was, like, the best. Those people are wrong. Luke Cage was awesome in the fact that it was, you know, mostly an all-black thing, Harlem, it really emphasized the location, the geography, which all of them do really, really well. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, and they had that awesome soundtrack, that track throughout the whole thing. But they killed the best villain, Cottonmouth. Uh, I didn't think, um, what's her name? Alfre Woodard was a good villain. Uh, I thought it was weird. And then they brought her back for Luke Cage season two. And I'm like, oh, I feel uncomfortable about everything. I thought his whole thing with his brother was stupid, and he looked like a half-rate villain. I just thought it was Diamondback. I thought it was stupid. I thought everything about that was stupid. I have I, no idea where you're even t- talking about. Right, fair enough. But then but I'm just saying this for the fans who actually watch the show. But then Luke Cage season <laughs> two ended on the, like, to me, the most intriguing part of it all, which is where it ended with Alfre Woodard, who owned this nightclub, um, essentially giving it over to Luke Cage because she knew it would corrupt him. And then the last scene is him like being in charge of this nightclub that's at the center of Harlem and it's corrupting people as you know, you know what it's corrupting him already. You could see like, he's like, yeah, I am the boss man. It's pride. It's hubris. It's arrogance. It's indulgence. Mm. I thought that was a cool ending of a shit Mm -hmm. season. Uh, Mm. Jessica Jones season two about her mom was weird as shit. Jessica Jones season one with the purple man, he would, say something and you would do whatever he said mm-hmm. uh it was season one was intensely haunting and creepy it, yeah. it, it, it was the feminism on parade right it is hardline woman who don't take no crap from nobody it was uh, uh a, a man who was a privileged man a privileged white dude with a british accent it was rape culture. That's what the whole thing was. He took over your mind and made you do his will. So it's like rape culture. There's even a woman who gets an abortion and she's helped in it and all this stuff. It's crazy. But in the end, superhero movie. Uh, everything with Iron Fist was terrible from the beginning to the end. It felt like it was made by the VW or CW VW. Uh, <laughs> VW. Isn't that like veterans or something? Um, mm-hmm. It was, it was, it, it was the, the, everything was stupid. Everything was stupid and it ruined the like crazy, mysterious, mystical, the hand behind all of this stuff in Daredevil season one when Madam Gao punches Daredevil and he goes flying across the room. You're like, what? Whoa. And then in, in Iron Fist, uh, he, she just gently, okay, I guess I'm your prisoner now. Oh, and just walks out of this building. I'm like, she should turn around and punch him. He's dead. It was so frustrating. All that, it just fell apart. Defenders sucked. Luke Cage, all that stuff. I mean, Jessica Jones season two was so awful. I literally was like, Shannon, I don't want to watch it, but I feel like I'm morally compelled to. <laughs> That's about her mom, and she's the so villain, invested. but she's did. 
Yeah. No, 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 no. Yo, I was. I was so invested. But her mom was the villain, but also not at all the villain. And I'm like, who is the bad guy? Like, what are we doing here? It was so bizarre. And then The Punisher season one came out. It was pretty good. It ended with him taking a bad guy that was that you find out he's the bad guy. And he smashes his face against a glass. And then he grinds his face up and down the broken oh. glass shards and just oh. shreds his face over and over again. <laughs> and it's so, so gross. You hear the, the 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 glass going into his open wounds on his oh, face, man. and the guy's I want to watch it now just for that. Blood is everywhere. Then season two. Season two starts out with that guy still alive. Now, I know Punisher Uh-oh. as a comic book character. If you've ever seen the Punisher movies, we now meet Jigsaw. At least that's what his character's known as because his face looks like a Jigsaw. Here's the funny part. This is the only spoiler I'm going to give. He's wearing this crazy effed-up mask that you don't know why a hospital would let someone wear a crazy effed-up mask like that. But then you find out he did it to himself, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's silly. But at one point, there's this dramatic moment where he takes off his mask, and you're going to see his hideously deformed face. And it's got, like, three cuts in it, and he's still a pretty boy. He's still pretty boy from Prince Caspian, the boy, you know, from the, from the uh, Chronicles of Narnia movies that my daughters, for some weird reason, love. Um, <laughs> can't imagine why. Can't imagine why. And so I'm like, wait, what? But I liked the season. Me and my wife liked the season. I felt like it could have been maybe three episodes. I feel like with all these Marvel things, except for Daredevil, could have been three episodes shorter, and I would have liked it more. What about Daredevil season three? Is that good? Uh, Daredevil season three, um, the plot twist was kind of unbelievable. They did their best to make the plot twist believable, but I like the fact that he was just a guy beating the crap out of people. I, I actually, I liked the whole season. I liked Bullseye's character, who was the villain. I liked his descent into madness as an FBI agent who actually is a sociopath who's killed tons of people, but it's his uh, psychologist who journeys with him his whole life who helps him not do evil things like that. And then he becomes unhinged because of the kingpin and his machinations in his life. I thought that whole thing was brilliant. The kingpin is Hmm. the amazing demonic influence. He is the perfect demon, the perfect Satan. Because Hmm. he understands, I mean, he is. He is the ultimate, he's the Faustian satanic character, right? He is this cool, calm, collected, methodical, planning, plotting, scheming guy who understands everyone's weakness, everyone's lore, and just manipulates it until you break and he's no longer in need of you. And the whole idea is here is Daredevil who, because of his Catholic faith, because of his pain and suffering in his life, and because he hides his identity, you can't take that from him. You can't take anything from him. Because one of the things, like the opening scene of Daredevil season one is there's this guy who does something awful. And the reason why he does it is I have a camera on your daughter here in college and we're going to do terrible things to her unless you do what we say. You know, like horror, you know, like stuff like that. Oh, like yeah. He's, he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, in Daredevil season three, in Daredevil season three, I think he does that perfectly. Like, uh, to manipulate the guy who becomes um, Bullseye. And then I thought, I thought literally, you know, it's so hard to do an ending well. And I don't think they pulled off, in Daredevil 1 and 2, I think they pulled off the endings really well. In Daredevil Season 3, I, the, literally the climactic scene of the final battle, so much is good except when Daredevil 
Like he has his interaction. I'm like, real. I'm trying not to spoil. And he's like, Ugh. I even said that to Shane. I go, what'd you think of that? And she goes, meh. Wasn't what mm. I was hoping. Uh, bump, because I love the actor who plays Daredevil on that show. Oh, 100%. He's, he's awesome. I love Karen Page. I love Foggy. They are three great characters. Season one, Foggy definitely seems like a guy who just started acting. <laughs> uh, there's like a, sometimes when he says his lines, I'm like, are you just reading that off a cue card? But now in season three, like he really is his own character, blah, blah, blah. I really love mm. it. So then we mm-hmm. get into Punisher, and Punisher's good um, in a lot of ways. There's a female character who is the jilt, the, the, used and discarded ex-lover who's very involved in the in the show and there's her character is just kind of unbelievable at times okay and i know you know suspension of belief but you kind of get to this point where you're like really you're that self-destructive and they're trying to imply like yes she is she was used by the villain of the last show so much and she had no clue and then he turned on her plot twist and oh my god look at all this awfulness but there's this part where she's like, this lady's going to crazy extremes. She should be in jail right now. <laughs> you know, like, this is weird. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And it's this whole weird Christian undertones, these, like, Christian fanatical sex. There's a guy called uh, Pilgrim, and he's the main villain who just slaughters people for Jesus. I hate that. I, but I, that just drives me nuts. It's like, like he's, he's so a little bit of a spoiler alert. He's a really bad dude from a bad life. And he was going to do terrible things, and he was discovered by this group, and he met the woman that would become his future wife, and blah, 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 and now she's dying, and the group manipulates his love for her and his boys and their fanatical Christian, you know, almost Amish life for him to become the, like, to tap back into his old skills and kill people and do all this stuff to bring about their mm-hmm. utopian drama. But it's awful, and of course... The gay guy is the stainless, sinless hero who is purely innocent and decent, and the the you know the parents are the corrupting, demonic, psychotic, you know, whatever people. So, like, whenever they show this guy, you're like, really, he's gay, and then they you actually get to know more of the character, and you're like, really, he had no clue his parents were murdering literally hundreds of people, like, no clue. He's a decent man. I don't know how. <laughs> but it ends in an awesome way. You're like, whoa, that's a lot of blood. That is a lot of blood right now. <laughs> <laughs> so all in all, uh, I give I give Punisher season three, or season two, excuse me. I give Punisher season two probably like a B, B plus. I give Daredevil season two probably B plus, A minus. I give Jessica Jones season two a D plus because I still think that character, bad. though annoying, is fun. Yeah, oh, bad. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I well, let me put this in context. I give Defenders and Iron Fist an F. Okay. I didn't realize that. I mean, I, again, I stopped um, watching Defenders. So I was like, ah, I'm just not going to like this. I'm bored. I'm going to move on. But um, I didn't realize it was that bad. I thought it was more just like a D or something like that. No, it's awful. It's as, it's as if the people, whoever did Iron Fist, was like everyone in Marvel was or in Netflix, I don't know who, was like, hey, you know what? The guy that did that terrible season of Iron Fist Let's give them the reins for everything else. You're like, what? why not give why? It the guy who did Daredevil? I know, but it feels like the guy who did Iron Fist. Like the plot oh, oh, is okay. so stupid, and the whole the hand. It's supposed to be this big build up to the sinister the hand, and you're like, 
I don't even, I still don't even understand what Kunlun is. It's like this idyllic heavenly place that needs to be defended by a dragon warrior with a, a glowing fist. And oh man, Iron Fist ended with him with glowing guns. Oh, I wanted to, I, I wish they could shoot me. <laughs> I wish you could end my life and my kids would be scarred for not having a father. But I will say this, this. You know what was better than, or was worse than Defenders? Hmm. Dynamic Catholics Blessed series to teach your kids first pre- uh, their preparation for reconciliation and first Holy Communion. No comment. I let, well, let me comment. The only two lessons worth looking at are the final two in the reconciliation series. Oh my God. I, our, our church literally has like 20 boxes of this blessed curriculum. And the first three, you could throw away. And my five-year-old, my three-year-old, my seven-year-old, and my eight-year-old, they have a cartoon that these people paid, a computer-animated cartoon, and my kids were bored with it. My kids watched the dumbest shit, and they were bo- they would literally, my three-year-old would walk <laughs> away from a cartoon. Never in the history of humanity has my kid ever done that. Bored. Stupid. The best verb to become the best version of yourself. Listen, Matthew Kelly, I understand that you think that is the most brilliant thing ever said in American Christianity, but my daughter interrupted me while I was reading her textbook to her. And she said, daddy, will you please stop saying that phrase? True story. Wait, which phrase? To become the best ver- uh, the the best version of yourself, <laughs> he says that all the time. I think he introduced that in Rediscover Catholicism. Maybe it was Rhythm of Life, but he says that phrase, and it's the it's the word for holiness or sanctity. It is terrible. He uses it. Uh, at one point, I felt like it was every paragraph, and it's like stop, stop, just stop this. Like half no the people, half the people that look at the curriculum can't make it past session two. Session one is you're blessed. God loves you. You're loved. God loves you. You're loved. God loves you. You're loved. And then session two is become the best version of yourself. Become the best version of yourself. Oh my goodness. Well, so here's one of the things I learned about filmmaking. If you want people to learn something, don't aim a camera at a talking head like I do with all my stuff. Point the camera at a student and tell a story of the student trying to learn something. Teach the exact same thing, but have it with that story. This is what Corey Hyman told me. He said, the difference is when a talking head is talking at you, you know, you're just filming someone talking, their brain immediately gets defensive because it's like you're trying to convince me of something and I'm going to scrutinize you. Whereas if you have a character who's trying to learn something, you immediately feel empathy. Did you know that? So if you have a student, you as the viewer feel empathy towards the student as they try to learn this concept from Mm -hmm. the teacher. So you can have literally the whole thing be word for word the same as long as you have that little bit of narrative. And all of a sudden it goes from defensive to empathetic. That's Mm -hmm. what Corey Hyman said. So you need to be careful with the medium of video. Okay. So here is this cartoon that I'm thinking is going to be like VeggieTales. Oh, no, my friend. Oh, no. This cartoon is literally cartoon characters staring into a fake camera <laughs> and just talking <laughs> instead of doing stuff, instead of a story. Well, Sarah, I really, and the, you know, it's terrible, you know, animation. I really believe that I need to confess my sins. Oh, do you? I believe I have to confess my sins. Hey kids, you need to confess your sins. You're like, what are you? You have thrown away the greatest thing ever. 
which is the ability to tell a beautiful, you know, a series of stories to illustrate the different points of confession. Ugh. The views in this on uh, this episode reflect that of uh, of uh, Michael Joseph Gormley and not that of his co-host Luke Gregory Carey. Thank you for calling. Do do do. And I love everyone I know who works there. Everyone, all the different people I know who work there, who are such big fans of the show and of my ministry, you are great people. <laughs> hey, let me end it with this. Uh, I'm getting my men's group started to do some more radical communities. Buy my there book. You go. And uh, so my theme for this year is the year of new things, and I've taken this very seriously. I just bought a table saw for very cheap. A very good one from DeWalton. And I uh, posted it in our Patreon page, but I don't think I've said it on the show. So I got a, a compound miter saw. I have a table saw. I have all these tools that you need for woodworking. Got some chisels. Got some, got a mallet. Got mm-hmm. a long level, straight edge, framer square, compound square. Got all these cool things to start. I haven't started yet. Then I bought a course called the Weekend Woodworker. Highly recommend it. And I've been talking about it with some of the guys, and a lot of guys are like, you know, my my dad doesn't know how to do any of this stuff, so I would love to learn. So we have two guys that know what the hell they're doing and, like, four guys who have never done anything. And we're all going – I'm going to have them over weekly, and we're just going to try, you know, work with some stuff, try not to chop our fingers off, and just go from there. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's awesome, yeah. man. And here's the deal. Remember I was talking about that Hispanic neighbor that I have? With the perfect mm-hmm. house and perfect family and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a cabinet maker. So I'm going to go over to their house. This is my evangelization thing. I'm going to knock on their door and I'm going to say, Hola, me amo Miguel. A su. Close. I don't yeah, know how to speak Yeah. And I'm just going to invite him over and say, Could you show us how not to chop off our fingers? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, uh, man, I'm like really worried you're going to chop off your fingers at one point in time. You have no idea. At, when I set up my table saw for the first time, this. I plugged it in and I turned it on. It was so loud. I like got scared and I immediately yeah, I turned think... it off. And my wife came running into the garage. She's like, what was that? And I said, I just turned it on, honey. I didn't do anything. And she's like, that's the loudest thing I've ever heard. We had guests over there like, that was so loud. And then I realized it was so high up. If I would have fed a two by four into it, it w- it was almost at eye level. And there's this thing called <laughs> kickback, <laughs> where a if a board goes into the blade instead <laughs> instead of a straight back into it, um, the board can kick back, and the blade is spinning at five thousand RPM, which means mm-hmm. it can literally send a board at three hundred miles per hour backwards into your body. And I'm like, this is aimed at my face instead of, like, maybe my hip. I need to lower this. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's so funny. I know. I'm going to die so quickly, Luke. Yeah, dude. I, like, listen, like, like stuff is going well for me in terms of, like, being able to be involved with, like, Catholic media and whatnot and, like, giving talks and, you know, but, like, I kind of need you still, man. <laughs> no problem. This, this is a two-person show. <laughs> Uh, for now. Hey, listen. It can still be a two-person hmm. show if I only have seven fingers. <laughs> I'll call him um, Luke and Seven-Fingered Gormley. <laughs> oh, get the old seven-finger discount, huh? 
kids, do you want to see a guy who started to go bald at 18 and a guy with seven fingers? Welcome to the Catching Foxes live show. <laughs> Welcome to the carnival. All right, Luke, uh, where can people find you? Uh, just patreon.com slash CF. Everything else sucks. <laughs>